Right. Hey, should we um, just try and get it laid down or whatever you do with digital stuff now we're here? Hey, welcome to the studio. Thanks for managing to join us, you know, in this Zoom age. So, Stephen, welcome. Uh, tell everyone who you are. I'm Stephen Langford. I'm the uh, director of .com at, at uh, Marks and Spencers. And so w- what does that entail? Because most of us have grown up with Marks and Spencers, and so as a result, we, we sort of just see it in the background. Can you just bring it into focus for us? What is today's M&S like, and M&S.com in particular? I suppose for, for those who don't know Marks and Spencers, m and uh, where have you been? Um, obviously a, a British, uh, wouldn't like to say institution, but value for money retailer, very much uh, focused um, on its own label across food, clothing, home, and then a number of services, so bank, uh, energy services, both in the UK and internationally. So operate across about 1,500 stores globally, over 100 websites, a workforce of circa 70,000 colleagues, um, and we serve approximately 30 million customers each year. Wow. And tell us the shape of those customers, because for the oldies, like me amongst us, you know, I remember going with my grand when I was a kid, I bought suits there when I started as a, a young, wide-eyed accountant. So it's been sort of part of part of my life. But am I now the main customer, ageing but handsome, or uh, have I been pushed aside by youngsters, families? You know, what's the shape of those thirty million? It's a, I mean, it's a very broad spectrum, uh, as you'd expect. Uh, it is a a different shape across the various parts of our business. So our food demographic um, varies quite significantly to our women's wear demographic, which even in turn varies from our lingerie demographic. But I would say, Ian, you probably are in our sweet spot. So we do cater for a um, a kind of 50 plus customer. We're certainly not leaving customers behind and and, and our, you know our focus is, is far broader than that but that, that's certainly where we I suppose we excel in our market share positions uh, particularly within clothing kindly put I feel uh, I feel cherished <laughs> but um seen before uh, I mean you've told us so many things that uh, we want to pick up on but before we go any further let us focus on you so although we're talking today about MS you've had uh, what can only be called an illustrious retail career. So maybe just draw the line that brought you to M&S through, um, you know, recent roles. Yeah, sure. So I began my retail career in the early 2000s at, at Tesco. I uh, started in marketing roles initially uh, and quickly saw the the great opportunity of the wild west of um, the emerging e-commerce uh, business and so was part of the early teams in in establishing Tesco uh, Direct before actually moving to M&S. So I uh, I joined M&S um, for the first time in um, in 2006. So I am what is known as a as an M&S boomeranger, having uh, having having come back. Um, so I spent five good years at at Marks in uh, in a variety of. E-commerce and business development roles broadened my experience, <laughs> I suppose, beyond the commercial elements of, of trading a, a website. 
and then had the um, had the pleasure of moving to uh, for for previous well, for the following nine years to to join the George business part of obviously the Asda business and part of the global Walmart business. So nine great years um, there. I think that's where we probably met Ian for the first time. Where I have very fond memories of um, you telling my team exactly what you thought of. Uh, uh, of our of our experience in the early days, uh, uh, obviously, um, it was it was full of love um, and um, you know, set some great foundations for the for the work that we did there in um, in developing the the George online presence. So that's that was a very entertaining nine years, and um, uh, and then last year uh, in June, actually during the pandemic, I. Um, I rejoined Marks and Spencers, so uh, obviously a you know a, a big decision um, for for me to come back, but one that I found far too tantalising an opportunity to um, to let slip. So tell us why then, because firstly it seems like no one leaves M and S. I remember doing some training there with the top one hundred, and I think the shortest tenure at director level was nineteen years, and when went right up to, you know, enormous numbers. So let, 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 let's, you know, no one's listening. It's just us, uh, Stephen, so you can be totally honest. What was the the one thing you thought, yeah, I have to go back? And secondly, what's the biggest change in those nine years that sort of hits you as you walk through, you know, to the new offices? So what, what was the one thing and the, the big difference? The big difference actually is, is the point that you made around tenure. Uh, there's been a huge amount of change uh, in the last five to seven years, a huge influx of a very broad talent um, and diverse talent. And that is very much linked to the attraction of, of coming back. You know, M&S is a business that's in transformation. There's no, no secret there as, as a, you know, the majority of the high street is in, in transformation, but you know, particularly M&S and the investment under Stephen and Archie in uh, ensuring that we've got the right transformation plan and we've got the right capabilities within the business to drive the fundamental change that's required was, to me, the real reason why I wanted to come back. I wanted to be part of that. I wanted to I believe in the in, in the transformation plan uh, and I believe in the role that I have in, in being able to make a difference to what I think we all no, is is a much loved brand within the UK, and uh, uh, everybody has an opinion of the of the brand, but it feels as though everybody's rooting for it all the time as well. So, to be part of uh, of that transformation was um, was too great a opportunity to miss out. Looking from outside, I can remember when I first started in retail, I'd go to you know retail events, and everyone I sat next to seem to know everyone else and say, oh yeah, we trained together at M&S. We, you know, we were at M&S for X years together. And having come from the BBC where everyone seemed to know each other and everyone in the industry had been trained by the BBC to know how to do broadcast and digital, it's as if M&S used to have this role of creating the professional retailing talent for the industry. So how is that role seen now? Do you still feel a responsibility that, you know, as well as, you know, managing M&S's own results, you kind of are a beacon and a repository of knowledge for the industry? Is that something that, that you feel internally? I'm not sure it is. 
I would say we still invest hugely and take great pride in the quality of our graduate trainee schemes and would like to think that they they absolutely continue to lead the way within within the retail industry but the reality is the skills required um, within retail to be developed you know 20 20 years ago uh, are very different to to the focuses now our focus has really really shifted into uh, into digital and data um, we've we've recently uh, we've done a lot of work with um, with decoded initially we have our own uh, beam academy um, which is very much focused on providing uh, a greater breadth of opportunity you know across all of our colleagues stores and um, and support offices to access the necessary skills for for the new digital world so it remains at the forefront of you know, development remains at the, at the at the forefront of what we need to, to provide and want to provide for our for, for our colleagues and for our business. But I don't think it's I don't think we have we feel as though we have a wider responsibility to to bring on the next generation of retail leaders. Jamie, we were talking earlier on about the partnerships involved mm. and the new ways of working there. Was that something you wanted to pick up? At this point, because it seems to be linked. Yeah, they are linked. I think Stephen and, and um, I, I was just you know you read the press and you see all sorts of stuff about Marks and Spencers all the time. And Marks and Spencers, my opinion of them, it's always been they'll do it themselves, kind of they'll do their own thing, their own brands, their own way, kind of thing. But now it seems that that's opening up a little bit. Newer brands being brought into the e-commerce platform, particularly to be sold. What's the sort of strategy and vision there uh, that you can share with us? Uh, our focus, our priority, remains our own brand, our own label business and will always uh, that will always be at the at, at the core we provide a, a huge amount of uh, or we meet a, a huge number of our customers needs um, but there will always be others beyond beyond our own label beyond our own our own brand and we would uh, rather be providing our, our customers that opportunity to to see us as a one-stop shop rather than for them to feel the need to um to go to our competitors. So it's very much a, around how do we offer complete, how do we provide a, a more rounded set of, of propositions for, for for our customers to keep them within our ecosystem, keep them with that, with spending with us and um, and hopefully shopping more frequently with us. So that, I mean, that feels like a, a big change for you in a, in a sense, you know, for the ways you just described. How do you, you know, does that mean a lot when you think about the internal view, as it were, opposed to your customer view, which you've just described very nicely, from an internal perspective, is that a big upheaval for the way in which the business has worked, considering that this is a bit of a change in the last few months, years, whatever? I mean, inevitably, it creates an element of internal conflict. I think that's consistent across you know, other re retailers who have uh, who have started out as as an own brand business um, with own brand buying teams. You have a lot of conversations about cannibalization and whether sales are truly incremental or or not. There's a bit of bit of rub and, and a bit of friction. Um, but it's it's early days, um, and and I think you should I think anybody should expect should expect that. Um, you know, we want to provide uh, complementary brands that. Um, that that support in, in, and perhaps even elevate our offer, demonstrate the, you know, our great value credentials or our or our quality credentials, and so we'll we'll we'll, we'll continue to learn and we'll um, continue to push forward 
and and make sure that what we're doing continues to be complementary and not competitive. And what about on the technology and operational side then? Because, you know, you have multiple technology sets within the same business culture. So on the one hand, you're running a bank. Nobody likes an agile, flexible, best effort bank. We wanted to be a thousand percent accurate. And yet you're talking about flexibility and agility on maybe the e-com, the customer, the comms, the publishing. I mean, you've got such a spread of activity there, which, uh, you know, any one of them would, you know, be enough for a mere mortal. So how how do you develop a sort of culture behind the scenes that can embrace everything from rock-solid current accounts through to quick and dirty flexibility working with partners? It, it sounds like um, an incredible task. It is an incredible task. It, it... <laughs> quite simply and and if you add into that that you know we need to continue to to develop to iterate to improve you know all aspects of our technology but at the same time we need to be managing um, you know we're doing that whilst managing unprecedented levels of growth as a result of the of the pandemic um so we 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 sit on a you know, what is it, I suppose now an old lady tech stack um, that you know that, that that was landed eight nine years ago and has had over that time you know, thousands and thousands of, of of engineers interfering with the code and moving it on and and it you know as you say it's a, it, it becomes a very very complex um, thing to manage so we are investing very very heavily in how we can you know, uh, not replatform, but reimagine, reinvent what, uh, how we construct that that stack to ensure that we've got as much flexibility going forward as possible. It's no easy task, um, that's for sure. And so, which direction are you taking that then? Because we hear a lot of microservices here, cloud, there, composable, you know, which was last year's word. Uh, in all of these, the the fundamental part is smaller elements talking more to each other, and you know technologists can now write in and tell me how wrong I am, but that that's how I see it. So when you launched your dot com platform, I think ten years ago, nine years ago, whatever, it was hailed as a bringing together a pinnacle of what could be done at the time. Where are you taking it now? Uh, you know, what's the architectural view? behind the the next transformation i mean i'm not i'm likewise not not a technologist and um i didn't need to be careful what i what what i say there um but obviously what 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 was 10 years ago we're in a very very different world and you know we have spent a lot of time investing in how we move uh, as much to microservices as much to the cloud uh, as we possibly can but ultimately, what are we what we're seeking to do? We're seeking to be able to provide engineers to be able to operate um, in far more agile ways than than they currently can today. Uh, that means that we can continue to release change faster and faster, and that we un- unlock the bottlenecks that we inevitably have with the kind of. I suppose the you know the, the constraints that we have within within today's stack. And where do you take your inspiration from, Stephen? Because you 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 have the international business, and I don't know whether your remit covers that side of it. But either way, do you know? Do you take your inspiration when you look across into other countries and to other markets, or is you pretty much focusing on 
the UK in terms of how you evolve that customer proposition against how your competitors are doing it? Yes, I mean, some and some. I would say we're probably more UK centric at the at the moment than internationally. Uh, I guess it depends on which part of the proposition you're looking at and how far we believe we're we're lagging or leading as to where we look for we look for our inspiration. And I think where we're lagging more often than not, we're looking you know, over our shoulder at, um, at our closest UK competitors and. Um, and where we're leading, we're, we're probably looking, you know, far further afield around how do we, how do we continue to um, stay ahead of the game. Mm. Now you mentioned the P word early on, pandemic. So um, let, let's just very quickly. I mean, I hope I had hoped by now it would be rearview mirror, but the fact we're not together in the studio shows it's not. Rather than looking backwards, uh, let's maybe look forward to this autumn, maybe the first half of next year. What do you think the pandemic stresses, pressures, uh, etc.? What, what change have they affected at MS, given you've got so many staff, 70,000 people who have become frontline workers, really? What, what's the change? Is there a different trajectory coming out of lockdown? Has there been a step change? Or is it a case that you know, it all got squashed down and now it's bouncing back more or less the same? What, what what big effect do you think the pandemic had on you as a business? Uh, effectively accelerated our transformation plans. Uh, you, I think everybody uses a different number of years in which you know, we move forward in, in the space of nine months, um, whether it was nine years or, or seven or five. You know, whatever it was, it was significant. And you know, for a business like uh, like M&S to overnight turn into effectively a pure player, it, you know, is really significant in a, in a transformation journey for, for that many colleagues to need to switch mindset overnight, to change roles overnight, um, to learn new skills overnight. You know, I mean, we had a mantra at the time, which was never the same again. Um, that, that, right. that overnight forced a never the same again. It you know, absolutely enabled a, a, a big step forward for us. So as we look, as you know, as we continue to to look forward, and yes, our shops are open now, but actually our shops are are open, but our colleagues are performing different tasks than pre-pandemic. You know, we have a, a very successful in-store fulfillment, uh, so online fulfillment in 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 our stores operation as a result of having to uh, having to pivot and and act as a pure player for. for for the best part of a year, so our, our, our store colleagues are you know, multi uh, multi dimensional in you know in their responsibilities now, and, you know, in, with a with a lens almost equally of of online versus you know an in store sale, and that will need to continue to evolve as um, as we need to continue to reimagine you know, the role of our physical yeah. space. There's no doubt that. You know, we we haven't we haven't sat here and gone right. Stores are open. Let's get back to how things were. Um, uh, we are, we've absolutely embraced the the you know difficult to call it a blessing, but a blessing in terms of a a, a transformational agenda. There aren't many better ways of creating acceleration than than the difficult times that we've just been through. So if we um, then just get personal again. You know, when you arrive in a new role, people are looking to you saying, tell us what to do, help us prioritise. There's very much a, 
come on, Stephen, you know, you're running .com, give us, give us the direction. But if you think, you know, over the last uh, year you've, you've been there, what have you learned that maybe you didn't expect to learn or didn't even know you needed to learn? But, you know, when you're at home, you think, oh, my God, that is new, it's different. Something I didn't know I needed to know is now in my brain. Is there a journey that you've been on or a realisation that surprised you more than your everyday transformation? Much of crisis management, you know, which is what it, what it was, walk, walking in, it's crisis management on the basis of you know, you're going from, from day, day to day, particularly from a, you know, within my role and from, from an online perspective, of how do we manage these unprecedented levels of demand uh, and how do we continue to service our customers in the best, in the best possible way? It's a it's a learning every day because it's a new challenge, it's a new problem every you know a slightly different different problem every day that I haven't perhaps seen before. Nonetheless, it's about just it's just day to day crisis management. It's not fundamentally learning new skills or um, you know, it's just de- dealing with dealing with different problems. I, I guess we all have to learn how to how to manage a peak and how to how to deal with a Black Friday. What we haven't had to do previously is is learn how to manage a Black Friday every day. Maybe that's the new requirement for the role, is, is not just peak, exactly. Um, so, as uh, people come back to offices, people go back to stores, uh, we can start looking maybe more than just day-to-day to even quarter-to-quarter. Quarter. What is on your executive to-do list that you're thinking, I can't wait to get my teeth into that. What's the prize on your list for all the hard work of the last year? Have you got a project you're particularly looking forward to or as things stabilise, you can get your teeth into? There's a lot, actually. There is a lot. Uh, you know, we've clearly converted a significant number of our m store, single-channel store customers into multi-channel customers over, over the last 12 months. And now is our real opportunity to ensure that that they remain loyal and and and, and sticky to to both channels, and that we're able to start to provide. That's whatever cliche we want to use in, but you know, omni-channel experiences um, where we are really truly starting to leverage our our physical stores, um, but create digital experiences. A lot of our focus priority is around is around our app and how we can start to do that in um, in ways that add genuine value to customers, not just transactional experiences, but um, value add services and experiences. We know that you know our lifetime value of our of our app users is significantly higher. And so you know accelerating that journey, Working with a with a retail team now who have absolutely embraced you know the the, the two channel approach and I think you will you will know and you know everybody know over the over the years you know, there's always been a level of competition between between channels and I, again I think that's something that has has been truly broken down as a result of the of the last twelve months so really starting to look at designing customer experiences across our channels it feels like it's it's not the hard yards that it's always been historically 
Sounds like we're having this conversation from 2000. All the things you used to promise 20 years ago, we're now saying this is the time it's really going to work. I was going to say, it sounds like a rebalancing of the business in a sense. You kind of, you know, for maybe mainly before the pandemic, more store action and, you know, conflicts and all the things you just said. And then pandemic all online and then back to a rebalance and finding a happy medium somewhere, I suspect. It's a happy medium. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, we, we know our, our chairman will will say it, our chief exec will say it often, you know, we, that our success rides on, uh, the, the, or the business success rides on our success within digital and how we operate going forward. Great. So no pressure then, Stephen. And uh, we're even more pleased that you took time out to chat with us. It's uh, It's been fun getting the connection up and running, but I appreciate your perseverance. And it's just fantastic to hear the level of energy, focus, and the path for MS, which, you know, we've tracked for years, monitor carefully, and of course, you know, wishing every success as we, what's the phrase, build back better? I'm sure someone said that before. Stephen, thank you so much indeed for joining us. 